0: Welcome to the Change Your POV Podcast. You're listening to Headspace and Timing, a show dedicated to breaking down the stereotypes of veteran mental health. I'm your host, Dwayne France. Let's get ready to make sure that your Headspace and Timing is set correctly. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Headspace and Timing. This is your first time listening, and thanks for checking us out. As many of you who serve know, the M2 machine gun, the 50 Cal, is one of the greatest weapons in the military's arsenal. The weapon's headspace and timing isn't set right, however, it's just a huge chunk of metal. Veterans can be rendered inoperable if their headspace and timing's not set correctly either. That's my mission here, to raise awareness about veteran mental health and reduce the stigma against seeking support. Each week we'll talk about different aspects of veteran mental health and interview mental health professionals that are working with veterans, service members, and their families around the country. So, uh, hey, folks. This is Dwayne. Thank you for uh, joining us again on the Headspace and Timing podcast. Uh, I got a guest here today um, that uh, I think Mark and I have known each other well for since 2013, going on five years. So, um, and uh, so Mark Scroggins is here. I'm going to let him introduce himself and uh, tell you a little bit about uh, his background and what he's doing. So, Mark, welcome.
1: Oh, thank you. Yeah. Uh, my name is Mark Scroggins, and I joined the military back in 1979, and I retired in 2000. Uh, And during that time, uh, I experienced several different traumas that haunted me uh, until I did something about it. Uh, It led to substance abuse uh, with alcohol, uh, and I had to save myself from myself. Uh, That's just the reality. Uh, we need to we need to save ourselves from ourselves. So you weren't a mental health professional when you were in the army,
0: like me. Right? People call us unicorns. We weren't therapists. We weren't docs when we were in the army. We were some totally different MOS, and then we get, got out and became mental health professionals.
1: So I, what was your MO? I was a combat engineer. Okay, and uh, I was aw- I, A lot of times I was an augmentee uh, to a larger unit. Uh, my specialty was explosives, uh, booby traps and explosives uh, and we developed uh, back in Hohensfeld for the people that know where that's at and spent some time there we developed um, different tables for sapper teams uh, and they could qualify as a sapper team uh, and uh, that incorporated booby traps, mines, uh, different types of uh, unconventional explosives. Uh, that's what I dealt with when I was in the service. You
0: kind of fall into that category of, uh, you know, that, that Cold War era veteran. You know, I joined in 92, um, but, you know, getting right out, you know, getting out before the cold Nine Eleven 11 thing, um, that's something that I see as a professional. Is we focus a lot on Vietnam vets. Gulf War vets maybe go going the way of Korean War vets as far as the Forgotten War, and then a lot of focus, of course, now. What are your thoughts on those gap years, that Cold War veterans?
1: <clears throat> well, I volunteered to go over to Desert Storm, uh, and I served during uh, Bosnia and Kosovo. Uh, it, it, it's the unspoken war. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of people that don't talk about what was going, o- going on over in Bosnia and Kosovo. Uh, at the time, uh, I was stationed in Europe under uh, the Sixteenth Engineers. Uh, we went over, uh, and we found ourselves in a quagmire uh, of mud and w- literal quag. Yeah, not, uh, not just not the the quagmire of the Middle East, but like up to your knees. Yeah, absolutely up to your knees in mud. Where we had uh, uh, bridges that uh, that were destroyed that needed to be. Uh, we needed to make sure that we created an opportunity for us to get over uh, the river and. Um, we had some people that got run over. We had some people that, so there was a lot of things that, that go on just in the military service itself, uh, that can be very traumatic for people. Uh, I've had people run over by tanks. Um, some guys were playing games and a, um, and I'm talking about some of my events. So if you just bear with me, it's kind of tough, uh, even now to talk about, but uh, a sprocket off an M60 tank sheared off and flew down through the motor pool and impaled a guy. Uh, I was in the motor pool at the time. Uh, I was the first responder to him, and he died the next day, uh, even after all of my efforts to try to, try to help him out. Uh, what led me into the mental health field was that uh, I found out mentally The struggles that I were having was because I wasn't addressing them. Mm -hmm. Uh, I was avoiding. uh, I was avoiding talking about it. Uh, What has helped me is being able to talk about it. Um, And I needed to make a change. I was drawn to uh, the correctional field and used to enjoy going to work every day and rolling around in the dirt with people that are actually in the prison system. Uh, I did that for five years as I was going to graduate school and did a lot of introspection, uh, internal reflection of of oneself. Uh, and I came to find out that uh, I was just as messed up as everyone else. Only they were inside. Or, yeah, they were in and you were out, but you could have been just as easily one of them. Absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, that led to drinking. It led to... Uh, a lot of different th- issues that I needed to I needed to address for myself. So uh, a lot of soul searching uh, has led me into the profession that I'm in now, and I try to help others. So you're a uh, licensed professional counselor, you're a,
0: a mental health counselor, but your, you're also a uh, master addiction counselor. Correct. Right? So um, primarily, um, or not primarily, but you're especially
1: substance abuse. Uh, I'd like to hear a little bit about that. Uh, Substance abuse for me, uh, as I look back on my life, uh, I've been clean and sober for 17 years, uh, but I've been down in the pits of the holes that we create ourselves through our substance use, uh, and I was able to... um, Someone threw me a rope, and I made the decision to climb the rope, to climb back out of that hole, because I realized uh, at some point where it was affecting my family, it was affecting my relationship, my marriage, uh, and I needed to do something about it. Uh, so I had to take charge of me and make those changes. That's interesting. Somebody threw you a rope, but now you're the other guy on the
0: other end of the rope. You know, uh, That's back down. But also for you, it was you have to want it. You have to want to grab the rope and climb out. You know, we see a lot of veterans that you know the rope's dangling there and, and they don't grab it.
1: Uh, that's part of the uh, avoidance, and I've, I've worked uh, in the Tribatterist Trauma Court for um, going on eight years now, uh, meeting with individuals and uh, just continually extending that rope to them. Uh, and they may not want to grab it initially, but when they see, and I can be as genuine as I can be, Was sharing and disclosing some of my story with them, they they soon realized that I was in that hole, Mm -hmm. and I know what's in that hole. I can I can describe it, I can define it. You know all the corners, right?
0: You know, Uh, and and
1: what's in the corners. So uh, that helps allow uh, them to open up, uh, and and there's an automatic connection because I'm a veteran also. You know, brothers and sisters in arms. You know, so that helps also. Right. Now, um, and, and we talked a little bit before
0: uh, this, but PTSD and TBI, those are the huge ones. Everybody says PTSD and TBI, and we focus on it. But uh, for veterans out there, even for other professionals, um, what about substance use separate from PTSD and TBI as its own separate challenge? Uh, do you need to be traumatized to, to be you know, gripped by substance abuse. And then we can talk about substance abuse. It's what? It's not just alcohol. I mean, like, what is the the, the wide range of what veterans are experiencing? Uh,
1: veterans are experiencing, uh, there's an opioid epidemic that uh, most professionals are aware of. Uh, and it leads to abuse uh, and addiction over time. Uh, that has been my experience. Uh, and it's an escape from their own reality, uh, veterans veterans don't like to be afraid of anything and I think what scares veterans more than anything is their inner self and coming clean with that uh, and realizing that I may be just as messed up as the other guy and and, and coming to grips with that and, and having some, uh, not situational awareness, but self-awareness, the internal self. Uh, I deal with that a lot. uh, Those were my struggles. So that's a strong point of mine that I I try to endear to others, um, that I can relate. And the addictions can be um, uh, medically Induced, where the veteran thinks they're doing the right thing because the doctor told me to take these pills, right, and this is what it will do. But over time, as the body builds up tolerance, what will happen is it may require for you to take more pills.
0: Yeah, addiction Uh, to dependence and so on. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So all of that, all of that is, and it's, it allows the veterans to escape reality. I think is it is the point, their own personal reality. There's a lot of
0: um, consider. I mean, the, we drink a lot in the military. I don't know That's of, true. of whatever, you know, um, I was a 19-year-old in Germany in the mid-90s myself, and drinking age was, you know, non-existent, and, and it was, there's a culture of, um, you know, our, our grog bowls and everything else. Um, is that a contributor, and, and when do you think, as a substance abuse professional or even as a veteran, does it hit the line of going too far?
1: I think it, go, uh, it hits the line of going too far, and you don't realize that it's gone too far. You still think that you're under control. Uh, that's what's so mysterious about addictions, uh, is that you feel as though you're still in control, even though you're not. Mm-hmm. Uh, other people see it, but you don't see it. Um, that contributes a lot uh, to uh, the suicide rate, Uh, When people uh, get into an altered state of mind using a substance, uh, there are times where you truly don't know what you're doing. You're acting out of normal character or or you've become this alter ego or this this, this different person. It allows you to do that. Um, My question for those veterans is, what are you running from? And if you never address it, you'll continue to run for the rest of your life. And a lot of times they don't know what they're running from. They, like you said, they don't have that
0: internal self-awareness of, you know, uh, what am I really running from? Uh, the, the shadow that it casts is, is enough to make me run away, but the, the actual thing the shadow is casting isn't that bad.
1: One of the, one of the, the basic uh, understandings of human beings is we are creatures of habit. Mm-hmm. So uh, it, if I cr- have a habit or start to create a habit with an addictive substance, it won't be long before the addictive substance is in charge, and I'm no longer in charge. The problem is, is are you able to realize it at that point? Uh, and when you get to an altered state, you really can't realize that. Um, and I find that true with a lot of people that... Uh, Share um, in, a, in the programs that I run, I d- wasn't even aware of what I was doing when they're, when they're in their real self versus the altered state. You know, I think the military, they give us the, the ability to stretch to our
0: strength and capacity. Basic training, you don't think you can get through it, um, but it puts you to the point is, you know, your capacity for enduring this uh, is a lot greater than what you might think, and and the military does a great job, but there becomes a point where we become we we think we have more capacity for enduring stuff than we actually do, right? Co- we go out correct. the other side, right? And, you, and so we think, okay, it's 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 three drinks or, or halfway down the bottle. Um, I'm in control, one step beyond. Um, I, I'm not aware of my own boundaries of capacity. Basically, I, I see that with with um, especially like you said in myself and stuff like that, you know going beyond the pain and hurting but even with mental health is they think they have the capacity to endure things and they really
1: don't. It's the same thing kind of an addiction sounds like. Well what happens in addiction is um, what usually puts the brakes on for people that are in addiction is incarceration. They will go and go and go until uh, they do something in the altered state that is illegal And for a lot of veterans uh, who aren't willing to see that in themselves and seek help, uh, that allows a gateway for us to um, sort of get those people in and mentor those people and try to work with them uh, to have that level of insight. Uh, It's real important, uh, initially, to uh, allow them to understand their own personal insight, to get them to look inside of themselves.
0: And a lot of times, like you said, that comes from an external place. Um, Somebody tells you you need to go get help. If it's not, you know, our our wife or our husband or or whatever else saying, hey, do something or um, uh, I'm going to leave you or, you know, look, you really need to get mom, dad, brother it might be the cop or it might be the judge finally saying that, but it's an external, in, in what I hear you saying, it's something external that brings the veteran to its own awareness. How can we shift that?
1: It's very difficult to shift because we're creatures of habit. Yeah, It, it falls back to the creatures of habit. Um, if I can do something to avoid pain, I'm going to do that. Instead of going through, I try to go around. The problem is there is no around in addiction. You have to work through it.
0: So that's, and, and that's interesting. Addiction is any other obstacle, um, but uh, you, you think you're negotiating an obstacle. You're going around the pit instead of through the pit or whatever. But like you said, with addiction, there is no, way, no other way to conquer the obstacle than to meet it head on.
1: Correct, Uh, and uh, I've been clean and sober for seventeen years, and I'm still afraid of alcohol today.
0: Healthy fear, I mean, and and it's it's that healthy respect of you know the just like in in you as a combat engineer, you probably feared the the explosives because you knew exactly the danger of what it was, and it leads to a healthy respect.
1: But uh, the the alternative thought. Is I have to look at myself as less than. Veterans have trouble doing that. Yes, they have trouble uh, uh, with the introspection and look at the, looking at themselves as making a mistake as a human being because of this expertiseism that has been ingrained in us. You know. Um, uh, it needs to be six inches, not sixth and a six inches and a sixteenth. Right. Right. I mean, it needs to be exactly. Oh, yeah, exactly. So, so this expertiseism and being on point and exactly where I need to be and doing the right thing and uh, all of this is ingrained in us as veterans. And when something happens that goes against the grain, uh, at what point do I become willing to look at that if it's my internal self? or avoid it by, not, uh, by going out and getting caught up in drinking and uh, all of these other things. So that it, I think that's a big deal because of the guilt and shame that we place upon ourselves for not being perfect. Right. And, and
0: this is a, another big thing of uh, it gets a lot more complicated, again, than just PTSD and just TBI, than just uh, tr- trauma that happens. Um, but uh, it's it's moving from one culture to the other. We're no longer veterans. We're no longer service members. You and I are no longer soldiers. We're no longer senior non-commissioned officers. We are this weird thing that nobody knows what to do with called a veteran, right? We, we don't fit in with the
1: civilians, and we're no longer part of who we were, and so there's an identity shift. Well, uh, not only that, the identity shift, but the guilt and shame that we internalize right. inside of ourselves for not being on point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, or being at the top of my game, or being able to understand that thing that you call a veteran, right? Uh, and our willingness to um, kind of get inside and clean up our own castle, right? Right. Most veterans are very good about sharing with other people how they can. Oh yeah, spruce uh, up their castle. Absolutely, I hear you. Uh, and it, it—that's it, an easy out for veterans. Uh, but cleaning up your own castle is something that's very, very difficult, and probably the, the hardest thing that I have ever had to do. Uh, I was uh, drill sergeant of the year. I taught at the drill sergeant academy uh, for several years. I've taught all the leadership courses from ANOC to the first sergeant's course and different things. And uh, I was very driven when I was in the military. Mm -hmm. Uh, But it was all about serving my inner ego, which I didn't have as a child. I was a middle child. So as I worked back through my own issues, um, I have been able to identify those and address those. And that is what is enabling me to manage not only uh, staying clean and sober, but going to uh, CPT uh, programs. And I think the program is like 10 or 12 weeks, and I was in it for six months <laughs> you know, be- yeah. because I wasn't willing to let go of some of this stuff right. that, uh, that was so close to me. Uh, and uh, the most important thing, uh, well, one of the most important things that I ever learned how to do is to cry like a man. That's interesting. Learning how to allow yourself to have emotion.
0: I think a lot of veterans have emotion, but it's like one of two, right? It's, it's lust or anger or something. You know, he said veterans are familiar with emotion. Um, but they think uh, the negative emotions, love and, and, and concern and things like that. It's mislabeled.
1: Uh, right. That's correct. Yeah. yeah. So uh, learning, uh, and we as human beings, as we evolve, we learn uh, these processes. Uh, and I spent 21 years in the military, so I learned a dysfunctional process. Which was which was functional while we were in. Right, it absolutely. Was, it was
0: environmentally functional, absolutely. but we couldn't transfer that to... A different environment. So,
1: what? How old? Let's see. I was forty-four years old before I allowed myself to cry. That's huge. That's huge. Yeah. Um, And uh, sticking to something that wasn't working for me, even though I was, I knew that it was in my best interest what what i did was i uh, did some introspection and i uh, that internal drive to succeed um gave me purpose service uh and veterans that have purpose are headed in the right direction when you were in the military and you and i were in the military uh we had a mission we had a task we had we had purpose mm-hmm. right right uh, so, as they transition, or as we transition out of the military, there's a lack of purpose. I found that I had misguided purpose when I first retired, uh, when I was drinking, and, and, and I enjoyed going to work at the penitentiary, believe it or not. No, it, uh, but because it, it fulfilled a need, and you were still able to
0: use that dysfunctional system to do kind of what you were doing before? I was a great fit. Yeah,
1: I was either happy or very angry. Most of the time very... They're happy ha- being angry. <laughs> happy yeah. being angry, right. But, uh, but that was my system. Uh, that was a system that... Uh, that's how I was hardwired. I like to address it as being hardwired that way. Uh, I don't blame that on the military because it served me well while I was there. Absolutely. Uh, but as I transitioned into civilian life, um, I found that I was unregulated with regards to emotion. So,
0: how do you help a veteran get to that point? We talked a little bit about this again before uh, before we started recording. But when you get a veteran who's who's there is like you know I'm I'm, I'm not going to cry. I see the tissues over there. I don't know why they're here because I'm not going to use them. You know, sunglasses on all the time. Whatever whatever barriers that, that are there. How do you help a veteran? Uh, in, in your own particular way get to that point
1: Once I, once I a rapport is established fairly quickly with me and another veteran because they're brothers and sisters uh, there's just this level of understanding from one veteran to another <coughs> one of the techniques that I use is instead of having the tissues on the shelf I bring them to the forefront well, after they sit down I just go ahead and bring the tissues out and set them in front of them and I let them know it's okay it's okay and I share uh, disclose a little bit about my story the first time I was able to cry I was 44 years old and man I had all of this stuff just wound I was wound tight real tight Uh, and until I started letting go of some of that stuff uh, I wouldn't be where I am today if I hadn't uh, sought treatment Uh, and I kind of hesitate to think of what might have happened sure yeah I mean, you know that's the so. that's the, the that
0: anticipated path but a lot of veterans are are on that anticipated path that's true of, of what happens when you're not uh, you're not working with someone that understands you know that that's a mental health professional and that knows the techniques you know a, a lot of times I'll okay we we, under, we you can find a lot of what you and I know on the internet it's Google right you know it's a big uh, search engine or whatever Um but the benefit of, of you being a veteran, me being a veteran, and having lived experiences, we also have the clinical training to be able to say we know what these tools and we know how to apply them. Mm-hmm. Um, you were you were talking earlier about you know like the, what was the one question that you have for veterans, the one thing that you think
1: um, that that
0: every veteran needs.
1: The one question I think that every every veteran uh, should be posed with is what happened, and. Uh, that opens the door for them to share their process. And it gives me a, a, a entry into their process uh, with regards to you were this hard-charging soldier that made it through basic training, you were able to endure, uh, you were adaptable, you are all of the things that you need to be in the civilian environment to be productive, to be uh, anything that you want to be. Uh, what happened? yeah what what went wrong what
0: what at what point did something kind of go off the rails? Uh, when you first when we first started talking about it I was thinking, yeah, that makes sense. what happened in Iraq, what happened in Afghanistan, what happened in Bosnia? Yeah, that's a piece of it, but that's not all of that question. what happened? Yeah,
1: that happened, and then what happened and and what's the story? right, And uh, they will share with you uh, they'll start opening up uh, after they know that you're listening their story one is there's a trust issue that ha- that barrier that has to be broken down uh, two uh, I think it's important that you're genuine with veterans because veterans can see through that but yeah they smell BS a mile away right uh, because they've lived it right but yeah um, so they're, they're very in tune to what's happening in the session so professionals need to be need to understand that they're meeting with someone that's really gonna be looking for cues um, to enable them to trust them with their story.
0: Now do you think and, and, and you had mentioned it a couple times and I see it, you know, you walk into to my office and it looks like a retired first sergeant's office, you know, maps on the walls and stuff like that and You know, um, and a lot of that is, like you said, it's a shortcut to rapport. They don't know what's going to happen the first time they walk in that door. They come in, they're like, oh, okay, this guy might, you know, understand what's going on. Do you believe that a veteran can only see a mental health provider who's another veteran?
1: No. What I believe is that uh, you need to share with the veteran that you can be sympathetic, not empathetic. Uh, if you're outside the brother or sisterhood, uh, if you're inside of it, you can can empathize if you've had similar situations uh, that you've endured. Uh, So I think that's real important for that to be very clear. Uh, The first thought of the veteran is, uh, I share my story and you can't relate to it. Right, yeah. Uh, If you can show sympathy or demonstrate sympathy, that's going to help break down that barrier. I think that's real important, the difference between being able to empathize with someone having a similar situation and demonstrating sympathy uh, to the degree where you understand and want to hear the story.
0: So that's on the provider side, the provider who may not be a veteran, but obviously they're working with veterans. They're concerned. They want to help. What about the veteran side? What about that idea of a veteran saying, "Well, all, I can only go see another 11 Bravo, or I can only go see another Marine for my therapist, you know, or whatever." What about that that idea on the veteran side?
1: Uh- I do uh, supervision for master's level students, and and they're not all veterans. Right. Uh, So one of of the things that uh, I share with them is to be present, be genuine, and that will break down a lot of barriers. They came to see you for a reason. They want to be heard. They don't want to be talked down to or talked to.
0: So the veteran, you know, saying, well, I need to have, I, I need to see, you know, if, if they're not a combat vet, then I don't want to be involved with them or, or something like that. Where do you think that comes from?
1: Uh, I think the, the trust issue. Uh, I got your back mentality. Yeah. Uh, and how much of this are you going to share with others? Uh, and the confidentiality that needs to be uh, clearly understood, uh, that you're going to guard that, uh, or the the veteran needs to believe that. Uh, I think the reason why it took me so long to get through uh, my PTSD issues and process, uh, I had uh, some skewed thoughts with reference to, uh, the person that I saw wasn't a veteran. Uh, it was a doctor out of uh, Salt Lake City, Utah and uh, she broke down those barriers just by being present and we really didn't get into, into anything until after I had been seeing her for like a month or a month and a half Yeah. so I really uh, I was very hesitant to share my story uh, and the different events that I experienced when I was in the service and um, but then I became comfortable with her. Uh, I had some of those same same doubts, some of those same thoughts. Uh, There's no way that you can connect to this, you know. Uh, I'll share a story, and you won't believe it, or yeah, you're gonna uh, break down and cry, you know. And I,
0: I'm not gonna, you know, or whatever, you know. If this yeah. is this horrible for me, how, you know, I can imagine that a civilian's not going to be able to. And, and and those sound like barriers. Well, not only that, but I had an
1: internal barrier in that uh, I felt initially, I was brought up in, in, in I want to say, the older army, uh, <laughs> where uh, sharing something like that uh, constituted you as being a liability, not, yeah. a, not an asset. You,
0: you don't want to be known as a sick call ranger or that guy that can't be counted on or something like
1: that, sure. I don't want to be the therapist that has a, a hair trigger yeah. that people need to worry about. Uh, You know, losing his cool and start throwing chairs or whatever, you know, uh, having an episode. Uh, uh, So uh, it was real important that that I sought out that treatment. Uh, And my hope for all veterans is that uh, they will look inside of themselves and go get the help that they know that they need and uh what I share with most veterans uh, in some of my groups and in my, in my individual sessions is uh, I initially want to know exactly what they're not willing to do <laughs> uh? no, and that's that's sort of in putting the tissue right in front of them right you know and that's a, let's let's find out what your worst fear is, and then it's a clear indicator absolutely what they need to be doing right it's exactly what they don't want to do the whole avoidance piece. Uh, and veterans have, uh, across the board have a tendency to do that. Yeah, absolutely. So there are a few challenges that are more
0: significant to the veteran community than the epidemic of veteran suicide. Uh, What are your thoughts on
1: it, and what can we as mental health professionals
0: do to impact it?
1: Um, I've had several uh, individuals that were on the brink of suicide uh, that I've been able to talk to, and um, I use a strength-based approach with them. Uh, I try to help uh, let them see the strengths that they truly have uh, and that, that, they've, that they've demonstrated in the past uh, and try to harness that from within them uh, and bring that out so that when they leave after this session, they feel empowered. Uh, I think that's real important.
0: You know, uh, one of the uh, biggest things uh, out of this, the 2014, or excuse me, the 2016 suicide study was that a large number of veteran suicides are older. They're, they're not the younger OIF, OEF veterans, but they're age 50 or older, 50 to 65. Mm-hmm. Um, that They're squarely in now um, that Cold War veteran kind of band. Um, what do you think about that?
1: My thoughts about that is, is they've, been, they've become very good, almost experts at avoiding yeah. what they really need to work on. Uh, when I meet with someone in that age group, uh, I'm very, very careful to empower them with their strengths and identify those, and a lot of them have lost a sense of purpose. Yeah, maybe they're not working anymore or they're not, yeah, gotcha. So uh, maybe I'll talk to them about how would you feel about volunteering? How would you feel about uh, different things that could bring out strengths that they have demonstrated in the past? So as we're wrapping
0: up here, are there any other questions that you could think? you got an audience of, of veterans and, and professionals. What, what, do you, what did I not ask that you would like to get out there?
1: I think it's real important to understand that uh, veterans are human beings. I think it's real important to understand the dynamics of being a human being. A a veteran is uh, like a fireman or like a policeman. It's just something that you've done. Uh, But you're still human. We're all human. So we are connected at that point. Uh, with regards to human instincts, uh, how we develop habits. Habits can be broken uh, or changed. Uh, You just have to commit to the change process. Uh, And uh, just kind of let them know that uh, help's out there. They just have to come and seek it. Uh, Seeking help is not a sign of weakness. It's actually a sign of inner strength. Yeah, that's a a
0: paradox, a lot of... um, uh a lot of veterans aren't aware of is the fact that uh, by reaching out and saying you know what i've reached my limit that actually shows that you're more resilient not less resilient
1: correct right.
0: um in and, and buying into the label of veteran you know that's uh, um i've talked with many um the stereotypes that we have are either a victim right you know a broken-winged bird that uh, you know that someone needs to save or, or a lot of the veterans you and i work with in the veteran court that that were we're um we're we're villains right we're we're criminals in some sense that comes out every time uh something bad happens um or that we're some kind of mythic hero right you know striding across the land saving
1: people when we're none of those we're human right Right. we're human and i like to view this as uh life is full of moments we have good moments we have bad moments um, the people that I see primarily uh, in the Veterans Trauma Corps. Can I turn on some
0: lights? You, you can. We, we actually, the, the lights just went out. We're actually recording a podcast here. We're, we're trying to. <sighs> okay. Yeah, I, the, the lights went down, um, and uh, we're not sure why they went out, and we're just trying to soldier on without them.
1: Okay. So our lives as human beings are filled with moments And we all have good moments and we have bad moments. Uh, The good moments are easy to deal with. It's the bad moments and what we do about those that clearly define us uh, throughout our lifetime. I'm a firm believer in that. Uh, We all make mistakes, we're humans. It's by design, uh, in my opinion, uh, that no one is perfect uh, and If you are to calculate all the good moments versus the bad moments, the good moments will, uh, for most people, uh, will be many more good moments in your life than bad moments. They'll be more numerous and they will carry more weight,
0: right? They'll, Right. they'll, They'll have both breadth and depth. And they can give you strength. Absolutely. So if you had a veteran, right? You know, somebody walks up to us and, and and sitting here saying, "Okay, why should I? Why should I bother? Why should I go to a shrink? Why should I go see a therapist? I'm fine. There's nothing wrong with me." Um, although there, there maybe obviously is. What would you say to that veteran?
1: I would share with them uh, initially <laughs> that uh, I want to help you, uh, and I try to measure uh, uh, four different categories. There. Are you willing and able? Are you unwilling but able? Are you unwilling or unable? And where do I meet you at? So uh, once I can assess where they're at uh, with regards to willingness and their ability, uh, their mental capability, uh, I try to arrive beside them, uh, kind of like penguins and how they take care of their young. Mm-hmm. When, they're, when their skin isn't thick enough to, to embrace the Arctic cold, uh, whether you're the father or mother, it doesn't matter. They get in a circle and they take all the young ones and put them in the middle when the Arctic cold blows until they're enabled they enable them, and uh, they grow up enough to take take their turn in the outer ring to protect the other youngs that are coming up. So that, that's kind of how I see it. And that's a support, and I think, and you, you alluded
0: to it earlier, veterans want to help other veterans. You mean, Absolutely. We, we need to make sure that we're stable so we don't get pulled back down into those pits um, and things like that, but... Uh, uh, and that's really interesting. I'm going I'm to capture those, uh, those four categories, make sure that they're in the, the, the show notes. Um, how can people reach out to you, right? And how can they reach out and contact you? Would you, would you want that? Or, or what other kind of uh, things would you have um, for the listeners to be able to follow up with?
1: Well, we have, uh, for all veterans, every Wednesday, We uh, over at the VA, we have an open clinic where uh, none of the therapists that work there have scheduled appointments. And that time is from 1245 to 1500 on Wednesdays. So they can come in without an appointment and see someone and talk to someone. Um, If they want to reach me, uh, my number is 719-227-4076. And uh, just drop me a line. If I don't get back with you right away, I screen all my calls. I still haven't gotten away from coming into work early. Uh, so I I get there at dawn and uh, uh, I screen all my phone calls and I'll, I'll be sure to get back with you. Now you would uh, you would show me a link and, and
0: uh, you, your son um, has a, a project. What was it? The Horn of the Bulls or what is it? The... Uh, it's
1: called the It's called the Heart of the Bull. Right. Uh, and it it's a day in my life as a therapist. Uh, it was a, a tribute to me. For my son who's now a film director and things that he experienced around the house my night terrors uh, different things that uh, he experienced in his own words Um, he wrote, directed and also did all the cinematography for this film and it was uh, selected at the AMA awards this year uh, as honorable mention and uh, if anyone would like to see it uh, I think that you'd be able to relate to it, uh, just being a, a soldier or veteran. Uh, several veterans have come back after they've viewed it and made comments to me about how powerful it was for them uh, to know that they're not alone uh, with regards to having night terrors and things like that. That's great, and I'm going to make sure the link of that
0: is in the show notes too um, so that uh, that we can get that out as wide as possible. Well, I appreciate you taking the time today, Mark, and uh, look forward to uh, obviously you and I continuing to work together, but hopefully this has been helpful. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Absolutely. to learn about military and veteran culture? Are you a mental health professional or public health professional without lived experience in the military but find yourself working with veterans? Are you a caregiver or a family member of a veteran? Then you might be interested in a series of books that have been released with you in mind. By going to veteranmentalhealth.com forward slash books, you can check out three books that give you an insight into veteran mental health from a combat veteran perspective. These books are a collection of short consumable essays that discuss a wide range of topics related to mental health and wellness in post-military life. Head on over to VeteranMentalHealth.com forward slash books and check them out for yourself or follow the link in the show notes.